imagine or think your ways are higher than our ways your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we would want it no other way because you're an awesome God worthy of every ounce of our worship this morning and I pray God everything we do here at Riverview Church would be an act of worship to you we commit this time to you Lord we love you thank you that you're here with us right now and we pray this in Jesus name Amen well, we're in a series entitled Unstoppable, all about the church. It's your story, right? You're part of the universal church. How did it start? How did it begin? It's actually a great apologetic for our faith, the way the church exploded in numbers in Jerusalem and spread around the world. Like Jesus said, the church is unstoppable. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, we've been spending a couple weeks talking about the church alive. And, and how the church not only was born in Acts chapter 2, but it came alive. It was something that God brought about, and it was a church that hit the ground running. Amazing characteristics in this church, as it did some amazing things by the power of God. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at that passage and talk about some of the qualities that it takes to make an impact for eternity. So Acts chapter 2, open your Bibles, verse 42. Probably remember that before Jesus ascended, he said this to his disciples, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. What city did I miss? Jerusalem, right? Started right in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we are the continuation of that story. This church is here because people obeyed that commandment and did what Jesus told them to do. And I want to read this account of what the church was like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. We talked about that. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Man, what a great community to be a part of. And day by day, attending the temple, big group, right? Then breaking bread in their homes, small group, home groups. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. God took care of the growth. God just called the church to do church the way he told them to. And they were doing that, where they were loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they were loving one another as they loved themselves. And the church was growing. A powerful thing was happening. We are in this section of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7. Peter is a central person. Most of the people he will be talking to, most of the people he'll be ministering to, are Jews. And the church is triumphant, growing quickly. But it will soon face a lot of persecution. But persecution was not a bad thing. Persecution drove the church out of Jerusalem. They took the gospel with them, and the church began to spread around the Mediterranean world. And we've been talking about four keys to eternal impact. If Riverview Church wants to be a church that has an eternal impact, these are four things we need to focus on. 
And by the way, these are four things I need to focus on, you need to focus on in your personal life. If it's good for us as a group, my friends, it's good for you individually. And I want you to ask yourself, are these things true of my life? comes right out of the text, right? Out of the text of God's word. The first thing we talked about was an undistracted commitment to the life-changing good news message. When Peter had this crowd around him at Acts chapter 2 and the church was born, he gave the gospel message. He told them about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. That's what the word gospel means, good news. If you're talking about Jesus, my friends, it should be good news to anyone who hears it. That even though we've rebelled against God, even though we've disobeyed God, there's a God who loves us enough to send His only Son to die a horrific death on a bloody, gory cross for us. It was a demonstration of how destructive sin can be. And Jesus hung on that cross for you and for me to pay the price for my sins and for yours, but you have to believe it. That's the gospel message. You might say, well, Mel, what church would ever neglect that message? I want to tell you, sadly, around the world, many, many churches don't say that message anymore. They don't give that message anymore. My prayer would be long after I am dead and gone that Riverview Church would be a bright shining light of the good news message of Jesus Christ. Place your faith and trust in Him. You'll be set free. Place your faith and trust in Him. You'll be adopted into the family of God. You'll have the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life paid for by Jesus on the cross. Here's the second uh, key that we need to have an eternal impact. An uncompromising commitment to the Word of God. The full counsel of God's Word. That's what they were doing, right? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they were studying the Old Testament to see how Jesus had fulfilled it. They had an un compromising commitment to the Word of God. Let me put another word there. An unapologetic commitment to the Word of God. We love God's Word and we don't apologize for it. We love the wisdom of God. We're committed to it. God's wisdom is so much greater than our wisdom, than the wisdom of this world. We talked about three core essentials to the doctrines that we believe. Salvation by faith alone, the deity of Christ, and, and this, the authority of God's word in our lives. Those are core essentials here that we would die for. We're not changing those beliefs. And again, sadly, many churches have moved away from either one or all of those things. They're so core to what we believe. We may have different views about the second coming of Christ, different views about how exactly God operated when he created. Those are not core essentials of the faith. These are. And my prayer would be every one of you would have a love for God's word and these core essentials in your life that this is part of what you believe. The third thing we talked about was an unconditional commitment to one another. <clears throat> that when you come to Riverview Church, you know that there are people that stand on the same ground as you do. Sinners saved by God's amazing grace. We've all disobeyed God. But by God's grace, we're adopted into his family. It's not like God looked at any one of us and said, oh, you're so much better than that person over there. I'm going to save you and not that person. No. It's a reality for all of us. 
all sinners saved by God's amazing grace. None of us earned it. None of us worked for it. And because of that, we can all be together in this thing that unites us, this belief in Jesus Christ, this amazing person that walked on the earth. And what unites us is far greater than what divides us. And there can be this unconditional commitment to one another. They were selling their possessions, giving to people that had needs. They were loving one another and caring for one another. That same thing happens here, by the way, at Riverview. I I probably see it and hear of it more than anyone else. But it's exciting to see when people step up and give of their talents and their resources to help one another. That's what the church should be all about. That's the music of the gospel. And when people hear that music and they sense that that is happening at a church, people want to be a part of it. That's why here in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Why? People wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to be part of something like that. And here's the fourth thing. This this is our new content today. The fourth thing, the key to having a life of eternal impact, to be a church of eternal impact, is an unrelenting commitment to worshiping God. See it here in the text, verse 47. They were praising God. The implication of the tense of this word is that was an ongoing thing in their community. Praising God. Everything they did, man, they're praising God for what he was doing. See, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. I believe with all my heart there's something really attractive about a church that truly praises God, that truly worships God. And I want to ask all of you when you come here on Sunday morning that you're coming with a heart that's ready to worship God for all that He is. You're coming here to worship God not only in the songs that we sing, and you know, I, I kind of talked about it this morning, like, oh, I love that song. I, I love all the songs that we sing, but there's some that hit my heart more than others. But I want to challenge all of us, even when we're singing a song that may not be our favorite, that we would realize that we're singing to this amazing, awesome audience of one. And then we're going to enter in with our hearts, our souls, our mind and all of our strength, that we would be a community of worship. I I think I've told you that in the past that we've had guests that have come from Germany. My wife has relatives and friends that have come to visit us. And if you go to Germany, sadly now, many of the churches are dead. They are dead. There are some alive churches, but many are dead. And these people come, and they come to our church, and typically the response is this after church, something like this, they will say, Mel, really liked your church. The people sang like they really meant it. Amen, church, right? That you sang like you really believe this. That's not happening in a lot of churches in Germany, sadly. So when you come, I want you to enter in like this New Testament church, praising God and having favor with all the people. There are people that will come and sense the presence of God in this place, and they're longing for that and wanting that. There will be people that will walk out and say, man, they're, they're too on fire for God, not me. But I believe you've still planted a seed in their hearts. Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And, and I get it. There are times when you have problems in your life. 
There are times when you have struggles. There are times when you feel discouraged. But the Bible has an answer for that as well. When we look at the text in, for example, there are many passages I could turn to, but Psalm 43, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? We've all been there, right? We've all had those moments. Man, I feel in turmoil. I feel cast down. I feel discouraged. But I love what the response is. Hope in God for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. See, it's in those moments when things aren't going our way, in those moments when we're feeling discouraged and down, and we've all had those moments. We've had those things happen to our family, to our lives. It's when I don't feel like praising God that I need to, that I need to enter in and praise God for I shall again praise him. I want to tell you, my friends, this is one of the most important elements of the church, one of the most important elements of any individual believer's lives, and so often it's the element that's missing, a heart that worships God, not just here on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, worshiping God. See, I believe the key mindset in worship is what John the Baptist had. John the Baptist, as you might know, was referred to by Jesus as the greatest person that ever lived on the earth. Wow! Greater than Moses? Greater than Elijah? John the Baptist who ate locusts and honey? Yeah. And what was his mindset? It was this. That he would put Jesus first and that Jesus would increase in his life. In John 3.30, it says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. Isn't that a great attitude to have? Man, I I want Jesus to increase in my life. And I want me to decrease. More focus on him. I I want my life to somehow point people to God. That's that person that takes worship from Sunday morning and lives it out every day of their lives. You don't leave Jesus here at church and go uh, uh, through the week leaving Jesus out of your life. He's part of what you're doing. He's part of every moment of every day of your life and everything you do, you do as an act of worship to God. I define worship as this. All that I am, rightly responding to all that God is, That the more you know about God, the more you're able to worship Him. The more you find out about how awesome He is and the love that He has for you and this world, the more you desire to worship Him. And this awesome God who exists in three persons, who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, one God we can't fully understand it, it's a mystery, but it's exactly what the Bible teaches. Three persons, one God. I, I get frustrated with people that say, well, no, that doesn't make sense to me. Three persons, one God. Three persons, all who are God, yet just one God. Yeah, exactly. Who are you to think or who am I to think that somehow I can understand the greatness of our God? I can't. He's so much greater than us. His ways are so much higher than our ways. I don't want a God I can fully understand. But this God is holy, and we don't even understand what that is all about. This God that's holy and that uh, has this amazing quality about Him. As the Bible says, this God that dwells in unapproachable light, creating 400 billion galaxies by His spoken word. Think about that power. 
400 billion galaxies. The Milky Way galaxy being one of them, our solar system being just one of 400 million stars, our star, one of 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy and 400 billion galaxies. That's the awesome God that we serve. And I love what it says in Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Romans 1. This is the sad state of our world today. It says this, verse 20. For God's invisible attributes, Romans 1.20. For God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the what? The creation of the world. That was before the Bible was ever written. God's attributes, His order, His design, His power have been clearly perceived in everything that's been made. So the Bible says this, So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. That's another word for worship, right? Honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Another word for worship. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for what? For a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. When I was back in Chicago, I had the Chicago Tribune call me, one of the major new newspapers in Chicago. And they said, uh, Pastor Svensson, uh, we would like to have a quote from you. We're doing an article on the Wiccan faith, W-I-C-C-A-N. And we're doing an article on that, and we've called a number of pastors, and uh, they don't want to give us any quote or statement about the Wiccan faith. Are you willing to do that? I said, absolutely, I'm willing to do that. And they said, well, tell us what you believe about the Wiccan faith. I said, well, the bottom line about the Wiccan faith is, and I went back to this Romans passage. I said they serve the creation, or they worship the creation rather than the creator. That's their problem. They're worshiping the creation, not the true creator. And they quoted me in the Chicago Trib with that quote. And for the next couple weeks, I got all these hate emails, hate phone calls, every word you can think of on my voicemail telling me who the think you are talking about the wicked faith. But we got to stand for the truth, right? The mistake is they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Every time you come into this place, you need to know our focus is on this awesome creator. And there are people all around us who are rejecting that and walking away from that. But we all the more need to worship God for all that he is, all these amazing attributes. God is love, right? This awesome God who loves us. He's a loving God. He's truthful. He's omniscient, knows everything omnipotent, all power at his disposal, omnipresent, everywhere present, unchangeable, immutable, righteous, eternal, sovereign, just. All these qualities are true of our amazing God. And one day, my friends, don't doubt it. You will leave this life and you will step into his presence and you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was worth it and you will say in your heart man I wish I had given more of myself to this awesome God while I was here on this earth 
My dad used to tell me a story, and it's amazing how the stories your dad tells you stick in your mind. But I share it at every uh, party with the pastors that I do. Uh, there was a pastor of a small church, a very poor church. They couldn't even afford offering plates or offering bags. So he would take his hat and use that as an offering bag in this small, very poor church. And one Sunday, he took a $20 bill and put it in the hat and began the offering. And the offering hat was passed around the church. And after the service was over, the pastor, along with his young son, went to the back room to count the money that had been given that Sunday. And when he tipped over the hat, the only thing that came out was the $20 bill he had put in. And he was discouraged. But then his young son said something with a great amount of wisdom. He said to his pastor dad, he said, See, dad, if you had put more into it, you would have gotten more out of it. Amen? You put more into it, you get more out of it. I want you to know that is true of the church today. The more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. The people that have impacted my life the most have been people connected with the church. The greatest experiences of my life have been connected with the church. The things that have changed my life the most have been connected with what the church has done. The greatest force for good on this planet, and it's what you're a part of, the universal church. May we rejoice in that today. I love what R.C. Sproul said. What God does is always consistent with who God is. He always acts according to His holy character. It is rooted in His absolute purity. There is no shadow of turning in Him. And as a holy God, He is utterly incapable of an unholy act. That's why the early church in Acts chapter 2, they worship God with awe. They had this awe about their worship. We're in awe of our God. When you come in on Sunday mornings, are you in awe of your God? Are you reminded of how awesome He is at every sunset, at every sunrise, at nature all around you, His attributes clearly on display? And when you come in, your hearts are filled with awe for what God has done all around you. But more than that, what He's done in you what he's done in you, giving you a hope beyond this life that is real, backed up by the resurrection of Christ. So it says here in Acts chapter 2, awe came upon everyone. Awe came upon every soul. Not only that, they worshiped with others. Don't walk away from the corporate worship. They were worshiping with others. They gathered together day by day in the temple at, at homes. My prayer would be you'd love to come together with the church. And I believe that happens the more you connect with these people that are here. Because I want to tell you, I, I know in my life, it's been awesome to meet the people of this church. It's been awesome. We're all sinners, saved by God's grace. We're all still growing. We, we, we all need to be more like Jesus. But these people here have encouraged me, and I know this is true of many of you that have been around here for a while, have encouraged you in your walk, have sought to build you up, yeah, it's imperfect. But the church is God's vehicle to change the world. And we're doing it together. We do it in spirit and in truth. That's, that's what they were doing. They were doing it. There was a connection, right, between God and these people. And they were rejoicing in the truth of God's word. It reflects what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Remember her? 
Jesus said, uh, he had asked the woman for water, and the, water said, and the woman said, well, you don't have anything to drink. Uh, how are you planning to get water? And he said, if you would drink the water that I would give you, you would never be thirsty again. This woman at the well, this Samaritan woman that Jesus was reaching out to, and he said these words to her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth that you love the Word of God and the truths of God's Word that talk about the God that we serve and that your spirit connects with God's Spirit. As you worship, you're singing to this audience of one. There's a psalm that comes to my mind, Psalm 63. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This is David, right? Uh, David is being pursued by his son Absalom who wants to kill David. Absalom wants to be king. And David writes this psalm in the midst of that turmoil you can imagine the hurt that David must have felt when his own son wanted to kill him he starts off Psalm 63 1 oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you now that verse I don't think you can read it like this oh God oh God I believe David was saying it more like this oh God Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I don't know if you're like me. I'm a parent, right? I have six kids, only six. I know some of you have many, many more. But it's always a downer for my wife and I if we're going to visit some relatives, maybe my wife's sister, and, and if they don't want to be with us. Uh, Dad, I don't, we don't, we don't, I don't want to go. No, no, we're, we're going as a family. You've got to come with us. This is a family thing. You've got to come. And they get in the car, and you know in the back seat they don't want to be there. They don't want to be with you. It's always a discouraging thing. It puts a damper on anything that you do. But those moments when the kids want to be there, when they want to come, when they want to be with you, those are totally, radically different events in the life of the Svensson family. And if we know that difference, certainly God senses the difference in us as well. Times when we come, we're here because we want to be. We're here because we love our God. We're here because we love our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We're here because together we're going to lift up the name of this God who loved us all the way to the cross. And one day we will step into this place that he has prepared for us. See, this balance of spirit and truth, joining in my spirit, connecting with God's around the truth of God's word. Sadly, there are many people who try to worship in spirit, lacking the truth of God's word. They're worshiping the wrong God. Uh, they're not abiding by the truths of God's word. You need both in an amazing balance. See, spirit and truth worship is 100% of my spirit entering into worship, 100% of the truth of God's word entering into worship, 100% of God's truth and 100% of my spirit, all of me entering in and worshiping this audience of one. You know, we have a worship team up here, our, our worship leaders. Their job is to lead us in worship. It may not be a song. Maybe it's not your favorite song. But the challenge will be for us as believers to enter in, to focus and sing to this God who loves us. Psalm 63, 
David says this, My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, that audience of one. Because your steadfast love, God, is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. I don't worship. Some of you love lifting your hands. Some don't feel comfortable doing that. It's up to you. David certainly did. There are verses all peppered throughout God's word of lifting our hands in praise to God. If that's not you, that's okay. But the point is this, entering in and worshiping God, this audience of one, we're singing to him. And the reality of our worship permeates this place. And we leave here wanting more. There's a video I don't have time to share with you, but it's all about the creation God did. 400 billion galaxies. It just points to how awesome our God is. I love this video. I don't have time to show it to you. One day I will. But it just points to God's creativity. I'm whetting your appetite for more. Amen? You want more. I want more about God. See, Eugene Peterson said this, worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It's not like we come in on Sunday morning, worship God, and say, oh man, I've had enough. I'm done with that. I'm not doing that again until next Sunday. No, worship doesn't satisfy your hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of by engaging in worship. It deepens. It overflows the hour and permeates the week. That we go throughout the week with a desire to worship this God that's with us and never leaves us. See, this is the reality. God calls us to worship Him. He commands it. He desires it. He deserves it. He will reward it. But I want to tell you this. He doesn't need it. People come to me and say, what kind of egomaniac is God that He has to have all these millions of people worshiping Him? He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need it at all. The reality is we need it. We need to worship God. We need to know that we are connected with this awesome being that is so much greater than us, that we're part of something so much bigger than we alone are, and that in Him we find our meaning and our purpose in our life. The more we worship Him, the more we understand why we are here, where we came from, and where we are going. It's the healthiest thing we can do. Like Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This is so important to Paul as he's writing to the church in Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I mean, what he's done for you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It was a contrast to the dead sacrifices of the Old Testament. When a person would come and bring the lamb, it was a dead offering on the altar. Paul says we don't need that anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. But what we are to do is to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God day by day, everything about us. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You think differently about life than people who do not know Christ. You have this truth that the world does not have, but we need to share it. Your mind has been renewed by the power of God that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The more you live it, you're going to say, wow, this is, this is what I needed. This has fulfilled my life. It's 
filled the empty void inside of me, the God-shaped void that is in every person on the planet. And only God, only Jesus can fill it. See, there's no greater act of worship than giving God all of you. God, I give you all of me. Every day. My talents, my abilities, my time. God, it's all yours. You direct me. I want my life to be a living act of worship to you. That's what God calls us to. And it happens, I, I put it in three distinct areas. In your private worship, in your group worship, in your lifestyle of worship. Let's look at each one individually. Lifestyle of worship. Let me go through it quickly. Do life, family, and work with integrity. That you would do it every day with integrity before the Lord. Next thing is this. Do life family and work heartily as unto the Lord. Do life, family, and work first and foremost as a light for Christ to give him glory. Private worship, that you would have a heart filled with thanks and praise, a priority to allow God's word time in your day, to meditate throughout the day on his amazing truths as you're driving your car, as you're at work, wherever you might be, to fill your life with worship music, that you would fill your car with music that lifts your heart to God. That you would fill your home with music that lifts your heart to God. That throughout the day, your heart is being pointed to God and your relationship with Him. And then our group worship. That every Sunday, we would come preparing our hearts. Like Colossians 3.16 says, when it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. All these different songs that God's word tells us to sing. Psalm 96 tells us to sing new songs to God. That's why we're constantly adding new songs here. Singing some of the old ones. Have, I love how Scott brings the balance, right? A couple of hymns, a couple of old songs, spiritual songs, a couple of new songs. But we're to enter in. And people have said to me, well, Mel, what about this chorus? It said uh, the same thing three times. I can't stand repetition. I can't stand when we repeat things. In Revelation 4.8, the, the, the beasts, the beings surrounding the throne never stop saying Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Sometimes there's something powerful about just lingering on a thought or a phrase in a song and just meditating on that. It's a powerful scene. When you look at Revelation 4, let me share with you what happens in the throne room of God in Revelation 4. It says this, from the throne, this is verse 5, came flashes of lightning and rumblings. Man, God's light show is awesome, isn't it? It's nothing compared to ours. I mean, I like our, isn't it cool how light can be so beautiful? Just beams of light can be so beautiful. Uh, you know, in the, in the old days, churches used to have stained glass window to beautify their sanctuary, beautify the worship experience. I love how these beams of light just are so beautiful, how light can be so beautiful. And God knows it when he says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Heaven is going to be awesome. So expect to meet with God corporately. Enter in with your heart, soul, and mind and find joy in doing life in community. 
You're going to find some of your best friends and best prayer warriors and best encouragers right here at Riverview Church. So as we close, I want to give you some now what's. Closing up Acts chapter 2 and moving on to our next chapter. Number one is this. Expect God to work in you, through you, and around you. Have a heart of expectation. God, I want you to work in me. I want you to work through me. I want you to work around me. I'm expecting you to do great things, God. Here's the next thing. It's this. Increase your love for God, His Word, His people, and His worship in your life. Increase your love for that. Allow that to increase in your life. That you would allow God to become more of a focus in what you do every day. Here's the third thing. Anticipate opposition and battles along the way. Opposition will come. Don't let that discourage you. Keep going. And lastly, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. May we be a church that is in awe of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has done in our lives. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to talk to you. And Lord, I know that you long for us to come to you with hearts that are ready to worship. You don't need our worship, but we need to worship you. We need to know that we're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. And that you've given our lives meaning and purpose and that you love us and that you are preparing a place for us and one day we will step into that place you have prepared for us and be in total, absolute awe of who you are. We love you, Jesus. This is all for you. And we pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Amen. So we have elders and home group leaders up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Please greet one another and live this week. All for him. All for him. See you on the patio.